Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Froke. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski, and today we have Jeff Bajoric. He's the man who oversees all of Parabola Consulting, is a podcast host, a salesman, and a LinkedIn personality. Nick, why should people listen? We have a great episode talking about discovery questions and asking questions that you and the customer don't know the answer to and why that's really powerful. Three, two, one, the power. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with RocketReach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. All right, Jeff, welcome to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. This first one might seem a little counterintuitive, but I'm going to tell reps to stop and think. 
You need to have a good idea of what you want to accomplish before you start to try to accomplish anything. And I think so many reps are engaged and ingrained in this hustle, hustle, hustle kind of mindset that they act without thinking about what they're trying to do. And you do a lot of stuff that you don't need to be doing that doesn't help you accomplish what the goal is. Set yourself up for success, identify what you're trying to accomplish, then go do it. Beautiful. What's number two, Jeff? Mm. I think we have a bravery problem in the sales profession. And I think that there are a lot of sales pros that are not brave enough to do good discovery. I've got three levels of discovery that I'm really kind of thinking through and talking about three levels of discovery questions. One, you got to ask questions that they don't know the answers to, which is a little bit counterintuitive. Secondly, you got to ask questions that you don't know the answers to, which are based on the answers they give you from level one. And then level three is ask questions that you that neither one of you actually know the answers to. This is where great conversations really take off. And when you can start to see the future with your prospect, that's very, very important, particularly in long sales cycles. All right. We're going to have to spend some time on that. But first, round us out. What's number three, Jeff? Talk to your peers. This is something that I think some reps do really well and others don't even think about it. And particularly now as we're working remotely and all we have is our phones, we don't have those water coolers to bump into each other with, identify what other top performers in your company are doing and see not only what they're doing, but see why it's working for them and try to integrate some of those best practices into your own selling practices, right? I used to spend a lot of time behind my windshield and I always had another rep, four or five of them actually on speed dial. And we would spend those hours together, challenging each other, making each other better. I love it. Especially that last one, Jeff. I mean, a lot of times folks will just see the numbers go up and the answer is like, oh, I better make more cold calls. But this happened, and it's always more, right? You can always get redder in the face. I had this one SDR who was, uh, he was really struggling, but he was putting up all the numbers. And I was like, hey, take the top guy, go look at the last 10 ops he booked and follow him all the way back to the first cold outreach. And what he realized is he was working crap accounts and his outreach was junk. And so it didn't matter at all how long or how many more dials he did because he was doing it the wrong way in the first place, which was your first point too. Can we talk about crap accounts just for a second? I don't know. Let's say you got $2 million to do this year. Okay. You can open 10 new accounts that are worth $200,000 a year, or you can open a hundred new accounts worth $20,000 a year. Right. I think the math works on that. (laughs) How much extra effort in the sales process does it take to win a quarter of a million dollar of account versus a $25,000 account. It's not a whole lot more. You have 10 times more revenue. Maybe it's 25% more work. Maybe you got to be a little tighter. Maybe you got to be a little sharper. Maybe you got to have your I's dotted, your T's crossed. But for crying out loud, if you just have your act together, if you're prepared, if you're just ready to go in and make a sale, why wouldn't you call on the one with the biggest bang on, uh, the biggest return on your investment of time, effort, and resources? You're setting your sights too small. Aim higher, shoot bigger, dream bigger, and and go get it. Armand, I feel like that situation you just described, like literally described my first ever year of being an SDR, where I was at the top of the leaderboard every single week. Like I really prided myself and I made more calls than anybody else. And I wasn't like booking meetings. I wasn't getting deals because like I was just calling random accounts that I found in Salesforce. And so Jeff, I guess my question for you is, I want you to talk a little bit about, I think you have this model around, I think you call it your like two by two model around targeting people to prospect. 
So I've spent a lot of time working with a couple of clients in particular on with uh, Stephen Covey and the seven habits of highly effective people, a great book. Like it's not necessarily a sales book, but everything you need to know to be good at selling is in that book. So go check it out. He talks about the Eisenhower quadrant, right? This matrix of urgency versus importance and where you need to spend your time. The vertical axis is growability. The horizontal axis is accessibility. So highly accessible on the left, not so accessible on the right. Highly growable on the top, not so growable on the bottom. So quadrant one is growable and accessible, okay? Quadrant two, very growable, right? But not very accessible. Quadrant three, not growable, but very accessible. Quadrant four, not growable, not accessible. We don't need to worry about them, right? So quadrants one, two, and three are really all we're worried about. In quadrant one, you've got people you are access, you have access to and are highly growable. Go get them. Go get them. This is what you spend your prospecting time doing is gaining access to accounts and facilities, customers that you can grow with. Okay. So it's very important. If this is, if you have any clients, any prospects in this quadrant, you got to go get them. And these could be existing customers that just have new lines of business that you can open with them. Or these are prospects who have given you access to them, but spend your time there first, spend your time there, spend the most of your time there. Quadrant two, now these are those targets right? They're not even prospects yet, but these are targets. You don't have access to them, but you know, that's where your growth is coming from. When you get out of that urgent spot where it's like, Hey, here's someone ready to move forward and maybe close business. After you spend that time, you've got to go spend your time in quadrant two. The problem most AEs have most full line, full cycle reps, however you want to call this. They spend a lot of their time in quadrant three. These are accounts that are very accessible, but not very growable. And that's problematic, right? You go there because this game is hard. Selling is tough. You get your face kicked in uh, on a regular basis and you want to go someplace where they're going to give you a hug, slap you on the back, and maybe buy you a drink when you get there, right? But your job is not to go have drinks with your customers. Your job is to grow your business. So by definition, the warm, safe, cozy space of very accessible, but not very growable. That is what attracts and traps so many sellers, but you have to be straight with yourself and you have to realize that that's not where your growth is coming from. And I know there are people listening right now saying, well, wait a second, Pajoric. What if I leave those people alone and I lose revenue? You can't move backwards and try to grow. Well, no, you can't, but you have to be really straight with yourself about how likely it is that they're going to go somewhere and what it really takes to keep their business. Because it doesn't take as much to keep their business as it does to get the new stuff. So I'm as big a fan as anybody at growing within existing accounts. Listen, if someone gives me $20, I don't care if I knew them or not, I know how to spend $20. So this gotta be net new versus get out of babysitting your accounts. Babysit the accounts if you can triple them this year. But it's, it's not about new versus old. It's about growable versus not. And you have to be very honest with yourself about whether or not where you're spending your time is going to help you grow. Let's talk about this a little bit because I've had a lot of people message me and be like, Nick, we, I, want you, I want you guys to talk about like account management when you actually have accounts you have to manage. Sure. Can you talk a little bit about, so I've got an account that's accessible, but it's not super growable. And I don't want to completely and utterly ignore them. But at the same time, you've just shared, I should be spending my time on other opportunities where I have more chance of booking more revenue. So what's the cadence that you're keeping in touch with those customers who are already accounts, not a huge chance at growing them, and you just want to sort of keep it on autopilot? Well, I don't like the word autopilot, Nick. Okay, good. Let's ditch that word then. I don't like the word autopilot because it suggests that you can set it and forget it. Mm -hmm. 
the reason you have a cadence that you don't want to automate is because your account deserves to get that attention from you. So I, I think the cadence will determine itself and it could be different for different accounts. Some people just want to hear from you every once in a while. They're going to order whether they need you or not. They don't need customer service. They're really happy. They just place an order every six weeks and you cash the commission check and it's great. You want to make sure that you haven't forgotten about them because people you know, have that relationship. Other people need to be paid a little bit of closer attention to. So know your customers well enough to know how much TLC they need. But you can also leave that in up to them. You leave that meeting. Hey, everything's going well here. Hey, what does it make sense for us to do? How often should we do this? Do you have anything else you're working on? The good thing about Quadrant 3 is that that's where your referrals come from. So whatever your preferred ratio is, but if you've got the lion's share of that of their wallet, there's a reason for that. And they have friends. So you want to make sure that you're mining for other opportunities, respectfully, politely, but giving them the service they need. You know, if you're actively engaged in your territory, those, I think those cadences kind of um, reveal themselves. So I think one of the things that's tough is, you know, I've got all these accounts where either prospects, I know they're hot, they're willing to talk to me or they're existing customers. And I know I could upsell them easily for that 510K. But then I've got this bucket of people who have probably told me to F off a couple of times in the last few months, but mm-hmm. some of those might be six-figure contracts waiting in there. And so from the same lens that you have, if there's a big opportunity that's largely growable, but they're very much not accessible, how do you coach people to actually turn those folks into the first quadrant of accessible and growable? Those types of accounts typically fall under your dream client you'd call those your dream clients. And those are people who you know, those are accounts where you know that you can solve their problem. You know that you've got some differentiators against the competition where they're doing business with right now. And you know that you can help them create outcomes that no one else can, right? You have a responsibility to them and yourself to keep calling on them. I don't care if they told you to F off. Have they really told you to F off or have they just said they're not interested right now, right? Sometimes I think that a passionate no is actually a buying signal, right? If they have to exert extra energy to tell you no, then that means that they went out of their way in some way. And that typically means there's an emotional response there that is often worth digging into, right? One of my favorite buying signals, it's really counterintuitive, is you cost too much. Like, oh, so you're saying if I was less, you'd be interested, which means that you're interested but you just don't understand why it's more expensive. Well, that kind of sounds like you're inviting me to justify my price difference. I like that. Please put me in that situation because I'm really good at that, okay? But these are people that you put on a different cadence. You put on a drip campaign. When there's someone who's worth, like we're talking career-making deals here, right? They're worth continuing to let them, it's worth continuing to let them know that you're thinking of them, that you know that you have a solution to their problem, and maybe they're not ready for you right now, but I saw this, I thought of you, I thought you might relate to it, here you go. But there's always more to explore. You said something earlier that I, I kind of want to get your, your take on how you handle this. Sure. You reach out to a prospect, they say you're too expensive. Mm-hmm. And you say you like when you get put in that situation. Well, I don't have a relationship with this person yet. How are you responding so you get an opportunity to justify the price differential? I actually heard that earlier today. I heard someone say, wow, you're, you're a little, that's the high end. And I looked him right, I said nothing. <laughs> I looked him right in the eye. You can't hear this on the podcast, but I essentially raised my eyebrows and almost shrugged my shoulders at him because like, yeah, I know. It's not my job to reduce 
my price to the level of your expectations, it's my job to deliver on the value on the price. So I'm not afraid of that. And if you're not afraid of that, let's get together and let's get to work. I was told early on in this new gig that I had, this was several years ago, I was told early on that I was trying to sell Cadillacs in a, in a Chevrolet market. And what I knew was that the objection was on price, but there wasn't a value created that would justify that price. And so I knew I had work to do. And that person ended up eventually buying from me. Given the complexity of the sale, I had to get the buy-in from somebody else who then understood it and then took me, essentially acted as a champion and said, no, I want to use this product for this surgery. And I know it's more expensive, but in this case, it's very much worth it. They just don't see the value. The, the price objection means I haven't done my job. That's okay because now I know where I need to focus my efforts. I got their attention. I actually um, had a conversation and discussion with them and they told me what their biggest issue was. And they just said, well, we don't know that we're going to see the value in that. And I said, okay, that's fine. We'll just keep having this conversation. I've got you on a drip campaign. We're, we're going to make sure that you know where I am when the situation arises, that your current solution doesn't meet your needs. And at that point, the situation will have changed. So I just, there's something about the transparency that comes along when someone tells you, you just cost too much. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, there's a couple of ways we can fix that from a financial aspect. There are a lot of ways that you can manipulate that, right? I could lower my price. Here's the thing. If I lower my price, I'm losing. Discount's a four-letter word in my house. If, if I'm going to discount, they're going to give something to, we're going to call it a negotiation, which is what it is. We're going to meet in the middle somewhere with something that's a little bit more amenable. I understand that. Sometimes the price just, it doesn't make sense. And in that case, I may take my ball and walk away and just realize that this isn't the right time or this isn't the right opportunity or they just don't see the value. Price is a lever that I can play with, but I also knew in this particular situation where the guy told me that I was selling a Cadillac in a Chevrolet market, I also knew that my company wasn't interested in, in discounting and that my job was not to try to go haggle with my manager for a better deal, but to say, um, no, here's the reason why we cost more. Here's the value of this differentiator. We were perceived as a commodity where we weren't. So I had a different story to tell. I needed to have, I needed to go back to the drawing board, figure out the big highlight differentiation points in the story I was telling between the story he was already buying and make sure that those points landed in a poignant enough way to where he would start to value them, right? Price is a lever. It's one of the last ones I'm ever willing to move. So Jeff, I want to go after you've identified some of those big accounts and maybe you've gotten past the too expensive objection. So you're working your tier twos. And in that first conversation, you know, there's big opportunity, but especially the ones who are not accessible, usually in that first conversation, you, you got to deliver some sort of value in those first 10 minutes. And it's usually by asking really tough disco questions. And so you talked about the three levels of disco questions as a rep, how do I start to ask questions that you don't know the answer to, or I don't know the answer to without sounding like a complete jerk the whole way through? Stump the chump, right? It's typically by introducing something that the prospect is not aware of. And when I go to my differentiation points, let's say that I've got three primary ways that I differentiate from the 800 pound gorilla behemoth in the marketplace, right? Let's assume they're doing business with X and I'm selling for Y. 
These are my three major differentiation points. And with the, the, um, the market research that most companies provide your reps with and with the knowledge that you can you know, ascertain by just doing a little bit of research and discovery around the market, you get a pretty good idea for what these people are, are using. You get a pretty good idea for what they're struggling with. If you have solutions to those problems, particularly that are tied to your differentiators, I think you start asking questions that lead to conversations about the differentiators. So if I've got differentiation point one, two, and three, and I can think of three questions that would start a conversation about why my difference is important or valuable, that gives me nine questions to ask right there that I can ask without even getting an answer that will make my prospects start thinking differently. The thing is, by the time you've asked the fourth or fifth different question that relates back to this topic, they know you're not going away. They know you're smart enough to do this because nobody, no, there aren't very many reps that are doing it this way. So you're, you're bringing something to the table. You're bringing new data to the table. You're bringing your own expertise to the table. They're going to talk to you at some point. Prospecting is about demonstrating you're someone worth talking to with something worth talking about. And you have to sometimes do a lot of work to make sure that um, you can get that point across without actually having that conversation. But just because they didn't return your voicemail doesn't mean they didn't get it. Just because they didn't respond to your email doesn't mean they didn't get it. And um, a friend of mine, Mike Weinberg, likes to say, you're having a conversation. You're building a relationship with someone even though they haven't responded yet. So you can't give up too early because you are being waited out. I want you to take this in the direction of, you talked about three questions, right? They don't know the answer. You don't know the answer. What the heck is a question that you both don't know the answer to? And why on earth would you ask it? Because that's where partnership happens. So you want to ask questions that your prospect doesn't know the answer to because it helps you to demonstrate your own expertise and create a little bit of tension. That's very, very important. You are demonstrating that you know something that they don't know. They'd probably be better off for knowing and you're someone worth talking to with something worth talking about. Based on how they answer those questions and the conversation that starts, if you're paying attention, you will probably find some place where you need to probe a little deeper or they say something that you don't quite understand. You're like, whoa, hold on. Wait, tell me more about that. A lot of salespeople really pass on this because, well, this discovery meeting was scheduled for 30 minutes. We've only got three minutes left. I better move this for a closing kind of closing question or something. It's like, well, again, like what's your hurry? Can we just continue this discussion tomorrow or in a couple of days? Like, I really like where this is at. If you're doing your discovery well, your prospect is as engaged or more than you are. So they're happy to continue it again. Your odds of closure increase like astronomically when you can get another discovery meeting and actually work together on something, even if it takes a few extra days. I don't know. Some people have really, really tight sales cycles, and that's a metric that they're, they're measured on, and they need to be really quick with it. For me, if this is going to be a customer for life, I don't care if I close on Monday or Friday. It's really going to be okay. But I increase my odds when I have their engagement. So when you built on the questions you ask in level one, and you go into these questions where you're demonstrating your own curiosity, you really want them to be engaged, you're really trying to learn more about their situation, now you get to daydream together. And that, that question, there aren't very many questions that you don't, or that you both don't know the answer to, but they, they feel a lot like, what would happen if we took your strengths and our strengths and we put them together? You're figuratively like wrapping your arm around their shoulder and you're kind of looking off into the horizon thinking like, wow, this could be really cool, huh? 
And then all of a sudden you're both excited. So, oh, oh my gosh, what, what are the possibilities? We could do this. We could do this. We could do this. Oh, that could turn into this. Before long, you're around the campfire solving all the world's problems, right? That level three, that, that high level of discovery is something that most reps don't even think about approaching. They don't even know what to do when they get there. And they're so concerned with, again, acting before they think about what they need to do. They don't even give themselves the opportunity to pursue it. The best conversations I've ever had with prospects are when you're in that daydreaming phase. You both get those dopamine rushes and you're really interested in doing something to move forward. And that's where the partnership starts. That's why I, I ask those questions. I feel like I get into this situation so much with customers where it takes a little while and that it's the first meeting with a customer. You know, you set a 30-minute discovery meeting to have the conversation start to rev up. And I often find like I get 23 minutes into the conversation and this is where I'm learning all of the really good stuff. And they're like feeding off of me also. And then I'm like, oh, okay. Like I promised we'd stop five minutes early. It's time to talk about next steps when like we still need some more time in that first step. And the impatient part of me is like, okay, well now it's time for the demo next week. Let's find a time where I'm probably better served. Like, I like how you framed it. You're like, Hey, like, I think we have more to talk about here. Do you want to talk? Can we talk again in a couple of days? And like listeners go back and listen to that again. Cause I'm like, I'm going to set twice as many discovery meetings now, although with the same customers again and again and again. All right, Jeff. So this was a great episode. Final question for you here. What's one belief that most sales professionals have about the world of selling that you think is totally wrong and needs to be nixed? That there's a way to do anything. There are lots of ways to do everything. There are way more right ways to do it than there are wrong ways to do it. Here's my advice. Do the work. Everybody's trying to find a way to, how do I do this faster? Oh, I don't want to do that. There's got to be a hack. There's got to be a way to do it better. There's got to be an app for that. There's got to be someone I can delegate this to. I've learned this myself, particularly recently. I get frustrated with new stuff I have to learn or new tools I have to use. And now I got to change software, whatever. It's like, do the work, man. And what's funny is when I just put my head down and get to work, stuff falls into place. So stop tricking yourself into believing that there's a better way to do it. So I shouldn't do it the way I know how to do it and just get to work. Beautiful. Thanks, Jeff. Anything you want to plug before we hop off here? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing a cool thing. I'm doing some cool stuff. I'm building a community on a website at rethinkthewayyousell.com. It's on a Mighty Networks platform. And I've got some paid premium stuff that's in there and, and a paid podcast that's subscription only and everything. But there's a free community there that's really starting to grow. And um, it's really fun because other people other than me are starting to contribute too. So it's and we're really trying to build something because most of the bigger social networks, they're really about grabbing attention and promoting things. And there's all the room in the world for that. I use it for that too, as well as to create a ruckus every once in a while. But I, I think the bigger platforms have, are, they're starting to lose the ability for people to really connect and learn from each other. So that's why I did that. So it's free. Join it. If, if you want to pursue some of the premium stuff, yeah, we can talk about that too. But I want to create a safe space for people to connect and grow from each other. All right, everybody stick around, connect with Jeff, cause a ruckus. And here's Armand's 60 second recap coming up soon. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Jeff Bajoric include number one, you got a two by two quadrant. You got things that are accessible and you got deals that are growable. Obviously you want to work your accessible and growable deals. 
but stop working the low-hanging fruit of your easily accessible but not really growable accounts and trying to morsel your way 2K at a time. Go break in to your highly growable, non-accessible accounts. Number two, you're too expensive is a phenomenal objection because what it implies is that if there was a lower price, they would buy. And so just ask them that question to make sure that price is the Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox if I don't get a reply in two days. That means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two-day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time every time, you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. Only thing that's stopping them from moving forward. Number three, find your three major differentiators, either in isolation or against a competitor, and ask questions that lead your prospect to that space. And then number four, ask the questions that you don't, they don't, or both of you don't know the answers to and get on the same side. Nick, how can people help us out today? Well, this was a super fun one about discovery, and I am all aboard the discovery train, Armand. So I want to Tell our listeners about some of our other Discovery-themed episodes. Number one, Joe Caprio, ditch the chit-chat at the beginning of your calls and why that can lead to better discovery. And then number seven was one of my personal favorites because it's mostly Keenan just screaming at Armand about you got to do Discovery better. But that's a really good good one about um, uh, supercharging your Discovery skills. So those are some of our earlier episodes. If you haven't listened to those, go back. Number one, Joe Caprio. Number seven, Keenan. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you all next next week. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90 Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. 
Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. 